Good evening and welcome to Mormon Sunday School with Radio Free Mormon, where you're going to learn things you're never going to hear about in regular Sunday School. This is the third lesson in the Come Follow Me manual for 2024, where the subject of study is the Book of Mormon. So let me put up on the screen my slideshow. So there it is. And let me go to a place where I can now switch the slides. All right. So this is Mormon Sunday School. I've already announced that. It's Come Follow Me manual. The chapters are 1st Nephi 6 through 10, and this covers January 15th through 21st of 2024. I have read through the Come Follow Me manual. I've read through these chapters in the Book of Mormon, and I've been doing a lot of research this week in preparation for this show. And as I did more and more research, I realized that the focal point of this show must be Lehi's dream of the tree of life. That's in 1 Nephi chapter 8. It gets talked about all the time. It's one of those passages of scripture that we hear so often, whether we're studying the Book of Mormon or in other lessons or in other talks in the church, that it is easy to become very bored with this subject and with this story, at least if you've heard it a million times like I have. And so when I announce that that's going to be the subject, I don't want your eyes to roll back in your head. I hope that this will be exciting because we're going to take a look at Lehi's Dream of the Tree of Life in a different way than you're probably going to be looking at it in your regular Sunday school. We know that this is presented in 1 Nephi 8 as a dream that Nephi's father, Lehi, had. We know that there's a number of elements in it. And what we're going to do is we're going to go over that dream, and then we're going to compare it. We're going to do a little bit of textual analysis tonight and compare the text of this dream as recorded in 1 Nephi 8 with another dream. And this dream is one that re was received not by Nephi's dad, but by Joseph Smith's dad, Joseph Smith Sr. And he received this dream in 1811, according to his wife and Joseph Smith's mom, Lucy Mack Smith, all right? And what we're going to find out is that there are a lot of connections between these two dreams, which raises the question whether Joseph Smith was relying or cribbing from his dad's dream in order to create this dream for Nephi's dad in the Book of Mormon. Now, there are a number of places out there on the internet where I think you can find connections or people who have gone through this already. I didn't want to do that. What I wanted to do was I wanted to go ahead and do my original research and not look at those, not have those taint my research, but for me to go through the dream of Lehi and then the dream of Joseph Smith Sr. So I read through both, and then I did my own analysis and comparison of parallels between the two dreams. And that's what I'm going to be doing tonight. And I hope you'll join me and I think it's going to be very, very interesting, perhaps the most interesting lesson you may ever hear about Lehi and his dream. So let's start with the first slide, Lehi's dream of the tree of life in 1 Nephi chapter 8. Here's a very nice picture that someone painted about this, uh, this dream. There's been a whole lot of artwork, really, some of it very interesting and beautiful artwork like this example that are based upon this dream as recorded in 1 Nephi 8. So we're going to go to the history of Joseph Smith, which was written by his mother, Lucy Mack Smith. And there's a picture of one of those 
on the screen. Over here on the little screen, I'll show you my copy of this same book. It's the history of Joseph Smith by his mother. This is a paperback. It was given to me by my good friend, Randall Bell. And I checked out the, the dream in here because this is where Lucy Mack not only writes about her son, Joseph Smith, but she also writes about her husband, Joseph Smith Sr. And she recounts a number of dreams that he had in her book about her son. And this is one of those dreams. It's contained in this book. So we'll be going off of that dream that Lucy Mack Smith said her husband received in 1811. So there's the book. Now, as I've said, we're going to do a comparison of Lehi's dream in the Book of Mormon with Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream in Lucy Mack Smith's biography of her son. So here's Lehi, Lehi's dream from 1 Nephi 8. Now, I apologize to you at the outset, but I want to take you on the journey that I had as I did my research for this show. So it's critical that we read, first off, Lehi's dream so we know what's in it. And then I went to Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream as recorded in this book by Lucy Mack Smith. And then I'm going to go point by point through the comparisons between the two that I found. And there are 12 of them, by the way. So let's get going. I'm going to try and give this a little uh, oomph because I know you've heard this a million times. This will make a million and one. But this is going to be, hopefully, the best time. So here's Lehi's dream from 1 Nephi 8. And it came to pass that while my father tarried in the wilderness, he spake unto us, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream, or in other words, I have seen a vision. Then there's a few verses that don't really apply, and we pick up again in verse 5. And it came to pass that I saw a man, and this is Lehi speaking. And it came to pass that I saw a man in his dream, and he was dressed in a white robe, and he came and stood before me. And it came to pass that he spake unto me and bade me follow him. And it came to pass that as I followed him, I beheld myself that I was in a dark and dreary waste. And after I had traveled for the space of many hours in darkness, I began to pray unto the Lord that he would have mercy on me according to the multitude of his tender mercies. And it came to pass that after I had prayed unto the Lord, I beheld a large and spacious field. Notice all these details because pretty much every single one of these details is going to be reflected in the dream of Joseph Smith's dad. No kidding. Going on. And it came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. And it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof, and I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I had ever before tasted. Yea, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. And as I partook of the fruit thereof, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. Wherefore, I began to be desirous that my family should partake of it also, for I knew that it was desirable above all other fruit. And as I cast my eyes round about that perhaps I might discover my family also, I beheld a river of water, and it ran along, and it was near the tree of which I was partaking the fruit. And I looked. To behold, from whence it came, and I saw the head thereof a little way off, and at the head thereof I beheld your mother, Sariah, and Sam, and Nephi, and they stood as if they knew not whither they should go. And it came to pass that I beckoned unto them, and I also did say unto them with a loud voice that they should come unto me and partake of the fruit, which was desirable above all other fruit. 
And it came to pass that they did come unto me and partake of the fruit also. So that's good news. And it came to pass that I was desirous that Laman and Lemuel should come and partake of the fruit also. Wherefore, I cast mine eyes towards the head of the river that perhaps I might see them. And it came to pass that I saw them, but they would not come unto me and partake of the fruit. And beheld, excuse me, and I beheld a rod of iron and it extended along the bank of the river and led to the tree by which I stood. And I also beheld a straight and narrow path which came along by the rod of iron, even to the tree by which I stood. And it also led by the head of the fountain unto a large and spacious building as if it had been a world. And I saw numberless concourses of people, many of whom were pressing forward that they might obtain the path which led unto the tree by which I stood. And it came to pass that they did come forth and commence in the path which led to the tree. And it came to pass that there arose a mist of darkness, yea, even an exceedingly great mist of darkness insomuch that they who had commenced in the path did lose their way, that they wandered off and were lost. And it came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the iron, of the rod of iron, and they did press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. And I also cast my eyes round about and beheld on the other side of the river of water a great and spacious building, and it stood as if it were, and it stood as it were in the air, high above the earth. And it was filled with people, both old and young, both male and female, and their manner of dress was exceedingly fine, and they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers towards those who had come at and were partaking of the fruit. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them. And they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. And now I, Nephi, do not speak all the words of my father. But to be short in writing, I'll stop adding all of these. And it came to pass as at the beginning of each verse. <laughs> no, that would help it be short in writing, but he's not going to do that. But to be short in writing, behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. And they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. And he also saw other multitudes feeling their way towards that great and spacious building. And it came to pass that many were drowned in the depths of the fountain, and many were lost from his view, wandering in strange roads. And, the, and great was the multitude that did enter into that strange building. And after they did enter into that building, they did point the finger of scorn at me, and those that were partaking of the fruit also, but we heeded them not. These are the words of my father, for as many as heeded them had fallen away. And this is the end of Lehi's dream of the tree of life. And you know, it's a little bit strange, but I think that last line, for as many as heeded them, I think that must be the people in the great and spacious building. That's the them being referred to. For as many as heeded them had fallen away. It's strange because it comes right after the line, these are the words of my father. So the natural construction of that sentence would be, for as many as heeded them, i.e. the words of my father, had fallen away. That would be the straight up syntactical interpretation, but I don't think that's what's meant here. Okay, so that's the end of Lehi's dream of the tree of life. Now, the dream of Joseph Smith Sr. This is pegged to being received by Joseph Smith Sr. in 1811, and that is put in that year by Lucy Mack Smith, herself, who was married to the man. According to Lucy Mack Smith, Joseph Smith Sr., the father of the prophet, 
had the following dream in 1811 when the family was living in Lebanon, New Hampshire. So Joseph Smith would have been five years old at that time. He would turn six on December 23rd of 1811. Joseph Smith Jr. would have been five years old at the time. All right, let's look at what this dream is like and see if it sounds at all similar to the one we just read in the Book of Mormon. So these are Joseph Smith Sr.'s words as related by Lucy Mack Smith. Now, once again, she writes this in 1845, excuse me, 1844 and 1845. She commences it, I believe, after Joseph Smith is killed in June of 1844, but she puts this to paper in 1844, 1845, and then it is published in 1853. So that's the, the provenance of this story. She's telling it as if she's relating the words of her husband, Joseph Smith Sr. So when it says, I thought that's Joseph Smith Sr. speaking. And here's what he says. I thought I was traveling in an open, desolate field, which appeared to be very barren. As I was thus traveling, the thought suddenly came into my mind that I had better stop and reflect upon what I was doing before I went any further. So I asked myself, what motive can I have in traveling here? And what place can this be? My guide, who was by my side as before, said, this is the desolate world, but travel on. The road was so broad and barren that I wondered why I should travel in it. For I said to myself, or he says, for said I to myself, broad is the road and wide is the gate that leads to death, and many there be that walk therein. But narrow is the way and straight is the gate that leads to everlasting life, and few there be that go in thereat. He continues, traveling a short distance farther, I came to a narrow path. Hmm, that sounds familiar. This path I entered, and when I had traveled a little way in it, I beheld a beautiful stream of water, which ran from the east to the west. Of this stream, I could see neither the source nor yet the termination. But as far as my eyes could extend, I could see a rope running along the bank of it, the bank of the river could see a rope running along the bank of the river, about as high as a man could reach. And beyond me was a low but very pleasant valley in which stood a tree such as I had never seen before. It was exceedingly handsome insomuch that I looked upon it with wonder and admiration. Its beautiful branches spread themselves somewhat like an umbrella, and it bore a kind of fruit in shape much like a chestnut burr, but as white as snow, or if possible, whiter. I gazed upon the same with considerable interest, and as I was doing so, the burrs or shells commenced opening and shedding their particles, or the fruit which they contained, which was of dazzling whiteness. I drew near and began to eat of it, and I found it delicious beyond description. As I was eating, I said in my heart, I cannot eat this alone. I must bring my wife and children that they may that they may partake with me. Accordingly, I went and brought my family, which consisted of a wife and seven children, and we all commenced eating and praising God for this blessing. We were exceedingly happy, insomuch that our joy could not easily be expressed. While thus engaged, I beheld a spacious building. Wow, a spacious building standing opposite the valley which we were in, and it appeared to reach to the very heavens. It was full of doors and windows, and they were filled with people 
who were very finely dressed. When these people observed us in the low valley, under the tree, they pointed the finger of scorn at us and treated us with all manner of disrespect and contempt. But their contumely we utterly disregarded. I presently turned to my guide and inquired of him the meaning of the fruit that was so delicious. He told me it was the pure love of God, shed abroad in the hearts of all those who love him and keep his commandments. He then commanded me to go and bring the rest of my children. I told him that we were all there. No, he replied, look yonder, you have two more, and you must bring them also. Upon raising my eyes, I saw two small children standing some distance off. I immediately went to them and brought them to the tree, upon which they commenced eating with the rest, and we all rejoiced together. The more we ate, the more we seemed to desire, until we even got down upon our knees and scooped it up, eating it by double handfuls. After feasting in this manner a short time, I asked my guide, what was the meaning of the spacious building which I saw? He replied, it is Babylon, it is Babylon, and it must fall. The people in the doors and windows are the inhabitants thereof, who scorn and despise the saints of God because of their humility. I soon awoke, clapping my hands together for joy. And this is the end of Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream. So now I've read First Nephi chapter 8, Lehi's dream, now I've read Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream from the history of Joseph Smith by his mother, and now we're prepared to do a side-by-side -side comparison of the two dreams. And it really didn't take me that long to come up with these comparisons. It took me a lot longer to put them in slides, I'll tell you that. But these are pretty darn obvious. I think I could have come up with a few more by stretching it a little, but these are all pretty much dead on bullseyes. And as I say, there are 12 of them. Let's commence with this analysis. So up there in the upper left, we have Joseph Smith Jr. And to the right on the top, it says Book of Mormon. And those go with the quotes that are below them. See, Joseph Smith Sr. says, traveling in an open, desolate field. By the way, that's a word for word quote from Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream. And over here on the right under Book of Mormon, it says in verse seven, and it came to pass that as I followed him, I beheld myself that I was in a dark and dreary waste. All right. So that's the first parallel. And up here in red, we have a title that I came up with to describe the parallel. And that says number one, dark and dreary way. So that's the format of these slides going forward. So here's the first parallel between the two dreams. Let's go to number two. Oh, I put in a nice picture in between each one of the tree of life by different artists. The second parallel is the presence of a guide. Joseph Smith Sr. says, my guide who was by my side as before said, this is the desolate world, but travel on. The Book of Mormon says, and it came to pass that I saw a man and he was dressed in a white robe and he came and stood before me. And it came to pass that he spake unto me and bade me follow him. And it came to pass that as I followed him, I beheld myself that I was in a dark and dreary way. So there's a second parallel is that bo both Joseph Smith Sr. and Lehi are accompanied by a guide. There's another picture. You see, they've really done some great artwork, I think, on this vision and this dream from the Book of Mormon. And I wanted to share a little bit of that with you while I'm going through this. 
Okay, parallel number three, a narrow path. Joseph Smith Sr. says, I came to a narrow path. And once again, these are word for word quotes from what I read from his dream. The Book of Mormon says, and I also beheld a straight and narrow path. So there's number three. And here's another picture, another painting of the tree of life. Number four, a river of water. Joseph Smith Sr. says, I beheld a beautiful stream of water. Book of Mormon, Lehi says, and as I cast my eyes round about that perhaps I might discover my family also, I beheld a river of water. And notice it's a stream of water from Joseph Smith Sr. It's a river of water in the Book of Mormon. So yeah, I'd say that's pretty darn close. So that's number four, river of water. Here's another wonderful painting of the tree of life. Number five, the rod of iron. Now in Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream, he doesn't have a rod of iron, but he does have a parallel to a rod of iron. Here's what he says, excuse me. <clears throat> I could see a rope running along, a rope running along the bank of it, the river. I could see a rope running along the bank of the river about as high as a man could reach. Now it's interesting that the rope is up that high and running this long distance. It doesn't say what holds it up, but he does describe the height of it as being within a man's reach. What he does not specifically say is that the people who are using this rope to get from one place to another are actually holding on to it. Although it could be suggested that it might be implied by his description of it as as high as a man could reach. Why do you have to reach for it unless you're going to hold on to it? All right, and the Book of Mormon, of course, says, and I beheld a rod of iron, and it extended where? Along the bank of the river, right? Just like the rope from Joseph Smith Sr. And led to the tree by which I stood. Okay, next thing from rod of iron, we're gonna have a picture. And now we get to number six, the tree, of course. So Joseph Smith Sr. says, and be, beyond me was a low but very pleasant valley in which stood a tree such as I had never seen before. What does Lehi say in the Book of Mormon? And it came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. There's another picture, another painting. And number seven, amazingly white fruit on the tree. Joseph Smith Sr. says, its beautiful branches spread themselves somewhat like an umbrella and it bore a kind of fruit in shape much like a chestnut burr and as white as snow, or if possible, whiter. And you recall that later on in his dream, he talks about it being dazzlingly white. What does Lehi say in the Book of Mormon? Yea, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. So it's not just white fruit. It's white fruit that's brighter than anything that either of these people have ever seen. It's dazzlingly white as the fruit is described. Another painting of the Book of Mormon's uh, Tree of Life vision or Tree of Life dream. Number eight, the fruit is amazingly delicious. Joseph Smith Sr. says, I drew near and began to eat of it, the fruit, and I found it delicious beyond description. Lehi says, and it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof, and I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I ever before tasted. So once again, it's not just delicious, it's better than anything 
that they've ever tasted before. So these parallels are really quite remarkable and spot on. Here's another painting. Number nine, brings family to the tree. You remember Joseph Smith Sr. said, as I was eating, I said in my heart, I cannot eat this alone. I must bring my wife and children that they may partake with me. Accordingly, I went and brought my family, which consisted of a wife and seven children, and we all commenced eating and praising God for this blessing. We were exceedingly happy, insomuch that our joy could not easily be expressed. The same thing happens to Lehi in the Book of Mormon. And as I cast my eyes round about that perhaps I might discover my family also, I beheld a river of water, and it ran along, and it was near the tree of which I was partaking the fruit. And I looked to behold from whence it came, and I saw the head thereof a little way off, and at the head thereof I beheld your mother Sariah, and Sam, and Nephi. And they stood as if they knew not whither they should go. And it came to pass that I beckoned unto them, and I also did say unto them with a loud voice, that they should come unto me and partake of the fruit, which was desirable above all other fruit. And it came to pass that they did come unto me and partake of the fruit also. So even in this detail, the two visions or the two dreams resemble each other closely. Joseph Smith Sr. brings his family to the tree. Lehi brings his family to the tree. Except we know that in Lehi's dream, there are two people not mentioned, and they are Laban and Lemuel, who don't come to the tree. Well, strangely enough, Joseph Smith Sr. has a similar thing happen in his dream. No, I'm not kidding. Look at this. Oh, first off, look at this. Here's the, oh, I like this picture a lot. This painting of the tree of life where they have personified the tree itself. I think it looks like a Jesus tree. I think that's what that's supposed to be there. Oh, we're not to that next part yet. It'll be either 11 or 12. But there's also the presence of a great and spacious building. Now, this is interesting because even in the description of the great and spacious building, there are like five different parallels between the two accounts just in this slide alone. So I've highlighted those and underlined them for ease of reference. So here's what Joseph Smith Sr. says. While thus engaged, I beheld a spacious building standing opposite the valley which we were in, and it appeared to reach to the very heavens. It was full of doors and windows, and they were filled with people who were very finely dressed. When these people observed us in the low valley under the tree, they pointed the finger of scorn at us and treated us with all manner of disrespect and contempt, but their contumely we utterly disregarded. Look at what Lehi says in the Book of Mormon. And I also cast my eyes round about and beheld on the other side of the river of water a great and spacious building. Spacious building is an identical match between the two. And it stood, as it were, in the air high above the earth. Now, this is interesting because some people have understood that the foundation of the building was high above the earth. It doesn't exactly say that. But some have tried to understand this passage in the Book of Mormon in that way. And Joseph Smith Sr. says about the building in his dream, it appeared to reach to the very heavens. So it may be that what is understood in the Book of Mormon is more similar to Joseph Smith Sr. In other words, it's a very, very tall building, kind of uh, harking back to the Tower of Babel, that building, right? And so there's a, a match there if we understand the Book of Mormon to say something is the same. Either way, it's certainly a parallel. 
going on in the Book of Mormon, this building. It was filled with people. That's exactly what Joseph Smith Sr. says. It was filled with people. And Lehi says, both old and young, both male and female, and their manner of dress was exceedingly fine. Well, that's what Joseph Smith Sr. said in his dream. He says, it was filled with people who were very finely dressed. It's amazing. And they were in the attitude, this is going back to the Book of Mormon, and they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers towards those who had come at and were partaking of the fruit. What does the Book of Mormon say? Or excuse me, what does Joseph Smith Sr. say? They pointed the finger of scorn at us. It's even pointing fingers. Even pointing fingers is in here. And treated us with all manner of dis disrespect and contempt. Okay. And we know, but they're contumely we utterly disregarded because they were among the group that stayed at the tree in the Book of Mormon for that parallel to Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream. So that's number 10. Here's another nice painting, rather simple painting, a minimalistic painting of the Tree of Life and Lehi's dream. And now we get to number 11, the love of God. Joseph Smith Sr. asks for an interpretation from his guide. He says, I presently turned to my guide and inquired of him the meaning of the fruit that was so delicious. He told me it was the pure love of God shed abroad in the hearts of all those who love him and keep his commandments. What does Lehi say? Now, this is actually in 1 Nephi 11. So this is Nephi who sees the same dream as his father, and he asks his guide, because he's got a guide too, what the meaning of the tree is. And he says, Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And I answered him saying, so this is his guide, the angel, or whatever it is, the spirit of God who's talking to him and asking Nephi, Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And Nephi answers and says, And I answered him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things. And notice that even the verb sheddeth abroad is similar. Joseph Smith Sr. says, he told me it was the pure love of God shed abroad in the hearts. What we have in the Book of Mormon is, yea, it's the love of God with which sheddeth itself abroad. Isn't that amazing? I mean, there's obviously some kind of relationship between these two dreams, the one from Joseph Smith Sr. in 1811 and the one in the Book of Mormon, which was dictated in 1829 and published in 1830. So here's another picture. That's the one we started with. I liked it so much, I used it twice. And now for the 12th and final parallel between these two dreams, the two more children. Okay, remember, Joseph Smith Sr., for some reason, adds this detail to his dream. He, his guide, then commanded me to go and bring the rest of my children. I told him that we were all there. No, he replied, look yonder, you have two more. You got two more children, and you must bring them also. Upon raising my eyes, I saw two small children standing some distance off. I immediately went to them and brought them to the tree upon which they commenced eating with the rest and we all rejoiced together. Well, even in this detail, we have a parallel in the Book of Mormon. And it came to pass that I was desirous that Laman and Lemuel, this is Lehi from his dream. And it came to pass that I was desirous that Laman and Lemuel, i.e. two of his children, should come and partake of the fruit also, 
Wherefore, I cast mine eyes towards the head of the river that perhaps I might see them. And it came to pass that I saw them. He sees his two children who are not at the tree. But they would not come unto me and partake of the fruit. So there's the difference between the two is that we have two children in both instances. In both instances, uh, Joseph Smith Sr. or Lehi want them to come to the tree. The difference is, is that in Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream, they do come to the tree. In Lehi's dream, they do not. Now, that made me wonder, actually, who were these two children? Because they're supposed to be Joseph Smith Sr.'s children, and yet he's not aware of them. And I wondered, are these like two children who haven't been born yet? Is this some sort of idea that's going on that I haven't brought all my children, but you're going to have two more after 1811, after you get this vision? So I went back and did some research on that, and it doesn't seem like that fits very well. Because William Smith... He was born March 13th, 1811. We don't know when in 1811 Joseph Smith Sr. had this dream. The odds are it was after this. So William Smith probably was already born as of that time. But that doesn't resolve the difficulty because the Smiths, Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Max Smith, had three more children, not two more children, but three more children after 1811. That's Catherine Smith, Salisbury, uh, she was born in 1813 on July 8th. Don Carlos Smith was born in 1816. And Lucy Smith Milliken, their last child, uh, she was born in 1821. And all of them lived to adulthood. So it's not a case of uh, a stillborn child where you might not count it. I don't know. But they all lived to adulthood. So that makes me wonder what is meant in Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream by I have two children more that I haven't brought to the tree, okay? Because he has three more children after the dream is uh, had by him and related by him to his wife, Lucy Max Smith. And there's another picture, sort of uh, Japanese, it strikes me. It could be Chinese, but it's that in that kind of, um, uh, that format, that, uh, that artistic mode. And I think it's very, very, very nice. Okay. So what to do with this? What do the apologists do with this? What does the church do with this information, with the fact that Joseph Smith Sr. had a dream that was remarkably like the Book of Mormon dream of Lehi, except Joseph Smith Sr. had the dream in 1811, and the Book of Mormon was not written or dictated until 1829. Well, the preeminent church apologists at Fair Mormon have a response on their webpage, and I put a link to it up there on the slide. You can find it pretty easily with Google. And this is taken directly from their webpage. There are three potential explanations for the similarities. Number one, Joseph Smith plagiarized Joseph Sr.'s dream when he wrote the Book of Mormon. This is the stance adopted by the critics. Number two, Joseph Smith Sr. had a dream that was similar to the dream experienced by Lehi. And this was a sign to the prophet's family that he was translating a real record that came from God. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure that that was the first thing that would come to my mind if I were in Joseph Smith's family, and he produces a book with a dream in it that is very, very similar to the dream that Joseph Smith Sr. had many years before. Yeah, that's the first thing I'm going to think of, that that's a sign to the prophet's family that he was translating a real record that came from God. I think that's wishful thinking, that part, on the part of the people at Fair Mormon. They go on, though. This is certainly possible. Yeah. 
it's certainly possible. Like pretty much anything that you can conceive is possible. Though it is impossible to prove or disprove by historical techniques, and so will not be elaborated on. It remains, however, however, a viable option. Yeah, I think I have a different definition of viable than the people at Fair Mormon. But their third explanation is this. Lucy Max Smith's account of the dream, which she recorded many years after the fact, when the Book of Mormon account was well known and published, may have influenced how she remembered and or recorded her account of Joseph Sr.'s dream. So that, that explanation is suggesting that it was Lucy Max Smith who was influenced by the Book of Mormon when she recounted her husband's dream. Because, I think we have a timeline here. Let me just double check. No. We might have it later. But I think you understand. Because the basic data points are, Joseph Sr. gets the dream in 1811. The Book of Mormon comes off the press in 1830. Lucy Max Smith writes this down in 1844 and 1845. And so what they're arguing is, well, maybe it's Lucy Max Smith who got confused and she mixed up the details in the Book of Mormon dream, which obviously she was an expert on, and she ended up putting those into the dream of her husband, Joseph Smith Sr., who by the time she wrote it down has already passed away, by the way. Okay. So we're going to deal with these in order, these explanations, these apologetics. The first thing to note is this. Even fair Mormon, the chief apologists for the LDS Church, don't suggest it is a coincidence. That's important. The parallels are far too numerous and far too detailed to make this argument with a straight face. If Fair Mormon doesn't even try to make this argument, they are conceding there is a dependency, an indisputable dependency between the two. Now, we don't need them to tell us that. We can see that with our own eyes, and I think we already have in this lesson. But it's important to note that even the people at Fair Mormon, their first fallback would be, oh, it's just a coincidence. If they don't make that argument, you know that that is a slam dunk. And even they are tacitly conceding the point. So here's Fair Mormon's exp explanation number one, that Joseph Smith plagiarized Joseph Sr.'s dream when he wrote the Book of Mormon. They say this is the stance adopted by the critics. I say, in response, this is the only explanation that makes sense, as we will see. It is not just the critics, by the way, who take this position. But any rational human being who does not have a dog in this fight of the Book of Mormon being true would come to the same conclusion. Okay? So they say this is the stance adopted by the critics. Well, yeah, and it would be by any non-Mormon, I would expect. All right. Explanation number two from Fair Mormon was that Joseph Smith Sr. had a dream that was similar to the dream experienced by Lehi. We read this before, remember? So the idea is that uh, back in 600 BC, God gives a dream to Lehi, and it's got all these details in it. It gets recorded in the Book of Mormon. And in 1811, God gives the same or substantially the same dream to Joseph Smith Sr. That's what this explanation is trying to argue. My response to that about the similar dreams is, so what? God has nothing better to do then go out of his way to make the Book of Mormon look like a fraud? 
Because that's exactly what God is doing if he gives Joseph Smith's dad a dream that is so similar to the one that is given to Nephi's dad in the Book of Mormon. Why would you do that if you're God? If you know all things, and if you really want to clear the way for people to join the LDS church, why are you throwing up roadblocks right and left? And this is a big roadblock. By the way, I was shocked when I did my own analysis at how similar those two dreams are to each other. And it was through the process of doing the work of reading them both and uh, detailing the comparisons, the parallels that I could see that helped really cement that in my mind, that they are extremely, extremely similar. In other words, it made it more clear to me than if I were just reading someone else's list of parallels. And fair Mormon ex explanation number three, Lucy Max Smith's account of the dream, which she recorded many years later, may have influenced how she remembered and or recorded her account of Joseph Sr.'s dream, all right? Which she recorded many years after the fact when the Book of Mormon account was well known and published. All right, that is the Book of Mormon influencing her to make Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream sound a lot like the Book of Mormon dream. And my response to that, oh, here's, here's where I put down the um, that timeline. I'm going to read it again because it's important. Book of Mormon influenced Lucy Max Smith's retelling of her husband's dream. So Joseph Smith Sr. recounts the dream in 1811. The Book of Mormon comes off the press in 1830. Lucy recounts husband's dream in 1844 and 45, and later published in 1853. <clears throat> Here's my response to this. So Lucy Max Smith confused her own real-life experiences with stories from the Book of Mormon, and her real-life experience is hearing her husband recount this dream, which I don't expect he did just once. I expect it was a recurring theme, and he told it many times, both to her and probably to the family as well, including young Joseph. So I go on by saying, yeah, Lucy Max Smith just confused reality with a story from the Book of Mormon, sort of like that uncle of mine who built eight barges to cross the ocean filled with all sorts of animals and put glowing stones in each one for light. You see how ridiculous this is? You see how unlikely it is that a person would confuse a story in the Book of Mormon or anywhere else really with their real life experiences with real people, or sort of like that aunt of mine who needed an expensive first edition of the Book of Mormon, but the guy who owned it wouldn't sell. So she cut his head off when she found him drunk in the street, put his clothes on, and fooled his servant into giving it to her. You see how unlikely it is that somebody is going to confuse their real-life experiences with the Book of Mormon or with stories in a book? These jokes are funny. At least I hope they're funny. I thought they were funny. These jokes are funny for the exact same reason that they show how lame this argument is, i.e. that Lucy confused her husband's dream with a dream in the Book of Mormon. I think that is a huge stretch and frankly, a non-starter. Conclusion. So Joseph Smith Sr. recounted a dream in 1811, which his wife wrote down in 1844 or 1845. Joseph Smith Jr. recounted a dream in 1829 of Lehi that is substantially similar to his father's dream. And I say he recounted it because he was dictating it in 1829 along with the rest of the Book of Mormon as we have it today. 
my question, and the question I leave with you, because it is a thought question, it's an important question, does this analysis suggest that Joseph Smith's material for Lehi's dream in the Book of Mormon came largely, if not exclusively, from his own father's dream? That is the question that I'm leaving with you tonight. And I've got to end this slideshow. And I'm going to come over here. There I am. So I've ended the slideshow. We are at 44 minutes. We're doing good time. This is exactly the amount of time it should be. Not much longer because this should be about as long as a regular Sunday school class if you go to church. So I hope you've appreciated this analysis, this lesson about Lehi's dream of the tree of life. Once again, this is Mormon Sunday School with Radio Free Mormon and why it is that the tagline for this show is where you're going to learn stuff you're never going to hear about in regular Sunday school. I hope you liked today's episode. Please hit like, please hit subscribe, please share this with family and friends. Please leave a comment below. Let me know what you think of the show, what you think of what we've covered, what you'd like to see in the future. And if you have any thoughts about this analysis between Joseph Smith Sr.'s dream and Lehi's dream in the Book of Mormon. Well, that's about all for tonight, folks. Thanks a lot for watching. Please join us next week on Mormon Sunday School with Radio Free Mormon. Good night.